Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Culture Hour. My name is Shelley Smith. I am your host and the founder of Premier Report and today's podcast, The Culture Hour. So as you know, I love having uh, guests on that can give us additional tidbits uh, about anything workplace culture related. Today, we're going to talk about the performance review, the dreaded word, the four-letter word, the, um, I hate the word management because it's confining. And I hate the word that when people talk about doing things annually. So we've got an amazing guest for that today. So without further ado, let me just dive in and introduce to you, Rob. He's, he's an amazing individual. I met him at a conference that we were both at in Florida. He got up and he told us his story. He's with Gap Inc. He told us uh, everything that they've done over many years and the success that they've had to really um, redo what it is that we know today as, as performance development. So he is the director, let me get this right, he's the director of talent planning and performance. And he's going to tell us a little bit more about himself. And then we're going to dive into what it is they did at Gap, why they did it, where are they today, and we're going to get some great nuggets from Rob. So Rob, tell us a little bit more about yourself. <laughs> well, first, Shelly, thank you for inviting me to do this. I I really welcome opportunities to talk about what we did because I'm such a believer that traditional performance management, the, the system that most people know in their companies, is not helping to drive performance and it's disengaging employees. And I would love to have on my tombstone that I either single-handedly or with the help of others obliterated traditional performance management from the face of the earth. That's my passion. That's my goal. I like that goal. So a little bit about me. I have been in, in retail or around retail since I was 16. I'm 58. You do the math. You can tell how old and how long I've been in this business. Um, and about a third of the way through my career, what I really discovered was my passion was around all things performance. When I had an opportunity to help people who work for me or people who worked around me get better at what they did by helping them find the unlock, that's when I was on fire. That's when I shined. And I looked for opportunities all throughout my career to do more of what I think most people would think of as training. I think of as sort of mentoring and coaching and guiding. Um, and eventually, uh, while I was at uh, Macy's actually in California, the VP of, uh, of training and development finally gave me my first job out of the business and in, in uh, HR. And I was a systems trainer and, and mostly through doing, not through education, I have sort of expanded to do pretty much everything in HR. But my love is and always will be everything around performance. So uh, I love getting up in front of audience and teaching. I love helping people do what they do better and finding that unlock. And about uh, six years ago, seven years ago now, uh, my CHRO asked me if I would be interested in helping to change performance management at Gap. And I, and I stepped into a role that was exclusively focused on performance management, and we blew it up. And uh, we continue to blow it up, and I continue to talk about it because I think it's such an important change for companies to make. Absolutely. So you've already given us a few nuggets. I want to make sure that we come back, and, and um, I love the word unlock. So I want to hear you define that. And probably it goes hand in hand is I want you to define performance. So first, let's, let's define in, in out of Rob's definition of what is performance, and then what do you mean by unlock? And then I'll give you your first question to elaborate into what it is you guys started seven years ago. Okay, well, 
if you had asked me 15 years ago what performance was, I would have talked about business performance. That would have been where my head would go. And I think that's where most leaders probably define performance. But after reading Dr. Carol Dweck's book about growth mindset and understanding that performance really is about getting better. It's about finding what's holding you back and changing something so that you can do something better every time on your journey toward, as Dan Pink would call it, mastery. That to me is what performance is all about. It's about getting from where you are today to where you want to go in the future. And hopefully, if you get better at what you do, then there is real business performance improvement. But I can't always say that those things go hand in hand. I, I can see where individual performance might not necessarily drive overall company performance, but hopefully there's a connection between the two. And when I say unlock, um, I, I remember years ago, I became certified in a technology by a company called Inside Out Coaching. They use what they call the GROW model. The GROW model is a questioning model that coaches use to help people get from where they are to where they want to go. And they even describe the coaching paradigm as taking valued people from where they are to where they want to go. And that's a very different mindset than telling somebody how they should perform in an organization, right? If, if I'm helping you unlock what's getting in the way of your performance, then you're getting better. And again, hopefully that translates to better business performance. But it changed the way I thought about performance to something that I was driving as either a boss or as a coach to something that I was helping the employee to drive. They had to get to where they wanted to go, otherwise I wasn't successful. No, I love that. It, it resonates on so many levels of, from things that I've certainly read. Um, you, Dan Pink, that you talked about, as well as you know some recent books by Marcus Buckingham, and he talks about that uh, velocity and mass equating to <clears throat> really momentum, which I love versus talking about somebody's potential or capability because that one shuts us down, but momentum can be a positive in any sphere. And it's like, how do we continue to gain momentum? And I love that unlock because it's, for me, you know, metaphorically, it's the removal of the road barriers and the pitfalls and the holes and, and all that kind of stuff. So I love that. Okay. You know, Inside Out Coaching talks about the interference that's in the way of performance. Mm -hmm. You know, the interference that's in the mind of the person who's trying to do it. And if you can clear the interference, the answer's there. Yeah. The and it becomes their own. Uh, that's the other thing is we impose inherently somebody else what the goal should be instead of allowing them to make it their own goal, because when it's our own and when it's important to us, that's when we're more likely to achieve it versus somebody else imposing. So I think that all that is in alignment and I absolutely love and respect that. So let's go back seven years and, <laughs> and why did this start? Why was this position, this was a newly created position, correct? That you've been yeah. asked to take on. So what happened? What was going on in the business or what transpired that this even came about to begin with? And the reason why I ask you that is because I want the listeners to ask themselves, are they in that place? Is that behind <laughs> yeah. them or in front of them? So, well, There were actually a lot of things going on. Um, first, we had heard for years, and I don't think it's just a surprise to anybody who works in an organization, that our managers and employees did not like our performance management process. They thought it was cumbersome, time consuming, uh, too focused on a year end event, um, and a lot of work for very little reward. Yeah, we were able to allocate reward as a result of the process, but it really didn't do much other than that. Mm -hmm. So there was always that kind of looming in, in, in the ether. But a couple other things happened in 2013 that drove us to make this change. 
first, um, we were trying to go global as a company. We were a regionally based company and our CEO really wanted to be global. And his perspective was anything that we could do differently is something we should be trying right now to be more successful in a global market. So he kind of liked the idea of looking at performance management as well as all the other things he was looking at. Um, but he also came to us and said, performance management said, it's way too complicated. We need to make it simpler. Mm -hmm. So there was actually a mandate from the CEO at that moment to do something about performance management to make it simpler. He wasn't thinking about making it better or more <laughs> effective. He was just thinking about making it simpler. At the same time, there was so much being written by these gurus out there. Samuel Colbert is a perfect example, uh, Southern California-based uh, HR professor, guru, brilliant guy who wrote a book called Get Rid of the Performance Review, exclamation point. And it's a 256-page rant about everything wrong with traditional performance management, mostly focused on the, the administrative aspects of it, the one-time review, the rating that you know, pits people against each other. And from his perspective, the, 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 the change needed to be toward talking more, avoiding providing you know, regular coaching and feedback throughout the year. And, but it's a rant. The whole thing is a rant, including right on the cover where he has the exclamation point in the title. So there were people like him um, who were writing about, specific about performance management. There were people like Dr. Carol Dweck, who I mentioned, who were talking about what drives performance. Dan Pink, talking about what drives performance specifically in what he describes as knowledge workers, this sort of new generation of workers who we pay for their ideas and their creativity as opposed to their productivity. Mm -hmm. And then there were people like uh, Dr. David Rock, who runs the Neuroleadership Institute, which is a, an organization that looks at the social implications, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the threats that are created by social interaction, mm. right? So we know that there's threat from physical interaction, like when you put your hand on a hot burner or you're frightened by something that crosses your path or, or a car is about to hit you and, and you have this reaction to it. But his organization started studying the same, um, how the brain responds to social interaction. So if you do something that feels unfair to me, he's discovered that the brain has a similar reaction. So I started reading about all this stuff. There's all this new technology around performance and all these people talking about the fact that traditional performance management wasn't working. And, and our CHRO said, okay, if the CEO wants to make it simpler and there's all these people telling us externally, it's time to change and our own people say it's time to change, I think it's time to change. Okay. And because we had the CEO's backing, we could move forward and actually do something with the organization. I think that's a, a key piece that I hear so often, you probably do too, is how do I gain support? So it's beautiful that you started at the, the viewpoint that you had the support and it was probably quicker to roll out um, because of that piece. So we'll table the, you know, how do you get support um, for another conversation? Well, so, and it was a luxury to have his support, and he helped drive the process from the very beginning until the end. The only thing we needed to do was convince him that we could do more than make it simpler. Hmm. And when he so, heard, well, then how did you do that? What, yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it was all about packaging the research. So those people that I mentioned, um, mm -hmm. Dan Pink, Samuel Colbert, David Rock, and uh, Carol Dweck, once I read their books and understood their philosophies and sort of created my own point of view about what could drive performance in our company. I went, we went back to him and we said, look, he, 
this is what's out there in the world now. This is what we know today that we didn't know in the past. This is why the current process actually demotivates. This is what we could do to engage our employees in a very different way. And by the way, we can still allocate differentiated reward at the end of the year. Are you game? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. I mean, so it was taking the research and coming up with our own point of view to show that science says we need to be doing something different than what business has, has traditionally done. So where did you start? What was your first, um, I'm going to say six months to year like? <laughs> well, I spent the first year actually creating this program with a team of people, but my very first step was I went to a, um, a discussion that was run by the West Coast representative of Burson, uh, Burson by Deloitte, their consulting practice. They wanted to bring people like me together who were thinking about changing performance management to just have a discussion. And clearly they wanted to make some money, right? They were hoping that they could provide their consulting services to anyone who wanted to do this. But a woman named Stacia Gar was like this first person that I spoke to and the maybe 10 uh, practitioners just like me from local Bay Area companies who were coming to do the same thing. We all sat in a room for like three hours and it was this amazing unlock for me uh, in a couple different ways. First, I met people, again, just like me who were doing this. All the people who were in that room are still in touch today. They're like my talent management posse, right? Whenever I've got a question, whenever I want to share something, we still talk to this day, even though some of us are not in the same companies and some of us are not even in the Bay Area, we still talk. But Stacia kind of brought us down a path of understanding what traditional performance management is and how that is actually making it difficult for companies to be successful using it. And I remember this slide, I still, I kept the, the one page. It's like, I don't have anything on paper anymore. I've got everything digitally. I have this one page because it, it showed, displayed to me what was wrong with traditional performance management. It had like 10 bubbles in it. And it said, these are all the things that traditional performance management tries to drive. Coaching, mentoring, assessment, rewards, um, uh, performance evaluation, uh, 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 all ER related things. It was like all these things lumped together. And it says, when you put all those together in one bucket, you don't do any of them well. And it sends the wrong signal to your employee when you, when you combine mentoring and coaching with assessment and reward, right? It, you're not just driving performance because what, when people get to that moment where they have that final discussion, all they wanna know is, did I get the, the good grade? Did I get the A or the B grade? And if I got the C grade, especially in a forced distribution curve, they feel bad. When you combine those things together, you're not doing a good job with either of them. And if you look at the brain science behind it, the brain actually has this threat response to the whole process can't really even hear the stuff you're talking about. It just wants to get to the end of the conversation so it can move on because it feels really bad. It has, a, it has the flight or fight response. And then because it's your boss, it's the flight response. So it wants to run away. So when I looked at that circle of things, I said, oh my God, we need to separate this stuff out so we can do all these HR practices and do them well, but do them in a way that doesn't make it uncomfortable, disengaging, or even threatening for the employee. And that, was, that moment was just incredible. And that was the very first conversation that I had. And it, it opened the door for me to think differently. So that was one really amazing thing. I'll mention just one other because it, it actually was a big differentiator for me in the design and eventually the rollout of our program. Um, I started talking to other companies 
So many of them were the companies that were in the room with me, but those were companies who were just starting on their journey. I needed to talk to companies that were a step or two ahead of me. So I called companies like Kelly Services, who actually did this in 2008 with no hoopla. Nobody even knew what they were doing. I called Juniper Networks, who got a lot of press on the changes that they made. Adobe and Dolby Systems, two companies, again, that were ahead of us, and Starbucks, and, and REI. REI was the only other retailer who had done something before us. And those conversations really helped me in that first year to know if it was possible, if they were seeing proof points that these kinds of changes actually worked and, and that rewards wasn't going off the deep end you know, at the end of the year blowing up. Um, and I had a conversation with the then uh, senior vice president of um, talent at Juniper Networks, a guy named Greg Pryor. He's now at, at uh, Workday. And I think I had talked to everybody on his team. I probably had 20 conversations with them because they were so far ahead of us. And he said to me, you don't need to ask me what we did. Let me just tell you one thing that we learned that could be helpful to you. And he said, don't change your performance management process without being really clear on what your talent philosophy is. Mm. And if you don't have a talent philosophy, develop that first before you change your performance management process because your process has to sit on a philosophy. It can't just be a process. And, I, and he said, I want you to check out two things. One thing was something that IBM was doing, and I, although I can't remember exactly what it was, it didn't feel culturally appropriate to use in our company. But the other thing he mentioned was Dr. Dweck's growth mindset philosophy. And when I read her book, it was like, okay, now we're talking. This is a philosophy that says everybody can get better, not just about your high potentials, not just about your senior leaders. Everybody can grow and develop if they believe they can, if they approach what they do with what she calls growth mindset, people who believe that it's about the journey toward mastery, about getting better, about growing, about making a mistake, but learning from that mistake and applying what you learn to the future. It's like, think, think of what athletes do all the time. You know, the person who's trying to jump over the high bar, first time he or she does it, probably doesn't make it. They probably knock the bar down. Mm -hmm. Then they watch a video of somebody else doing it and they arch their back in a different way or they run a little bit farther and they still knock the bar down. Eventually, though, after trying and maybe getting some coaching feedback, they get over the bar. And what's the next thing they do? They raise the raise bar the a little bar. bit higher and they start all over again. That's the mindset that you want in your employees, that they can get better, that they can constantly learn and try. Think rapid prototyping. That's, that's, a, mm -hmm. that's a term that's used in, in, in Silicon Valley all the time. Trying something quickly. See if it works. If it works, do it again. If it doesn't, Figure out what you want to change and try it again. It's just like what athletes do. That's growth mindset. So when I heard about that, God, I thank, I thank Greg every day because that became our talent philosophy. I love that. And so, we rolled that philosophy out first to help people really get an understanding of what we mean by everybody can grow and it's okay to make a mistake as long as you learn from it before we actually change the process of performance management. So for our listeners out there, um, they have the, the, the luxury that the gaps of the world have sort of forged the road and the lessons learned and taking what was in the book science and put it into applicability in real time. I think a lot of times when we read books, think, oh, that's amazing, but that doesn't work in real life. Or who in the world did they talk to? What was their sampling? So I love the combination that you talked about of the research and then actually talking 
to people who have been living it and breathing it in order to get in some tips. And the biggest thing that I heard is start with the philosophy. And it sounds like for the listeners who <clears throat> have been thinking about this, who were not the early adopters, such as Gap, but it sounds like their starting process is to literally go on, do some research, find out some um, things that are already out there. It's almost like print everything you've got and then highlight it to come up with your own philosophy, right? right. Kind of wordsmith it, come up with your own philosophy to get you going that gives you something to aspire to. So I, I heard that as, as a big number one. The other piece is I love the fact that you talked about the mind shift and the mindset because it's huge because we are, you know, our beliefs are self-limiting and they're imposed upon inside of our mind. So absolutely love those and a couple of the metaphors that you looked at for that. Um, Shelly, let me just add one, one more thing on to yeah. that. Because you asked yeah. me what that first year was like. Mm -hmm. the, there was press maybe a year ago, uh, a CEB produced a white paper that said that, that companies had made a mistake by getting rid of ratings. Mm. And that some companies were turning back and going back to ratings. And this really isn't a conversation about ratings. This is about changing to a learning culture. Yes. To go from a process that simply really just drives compensation yeah. to a, a learning culture in your organization. And so when, when we were thinking about what was the goal that we were trying to accomplish, yeah, we got rid of ratings. Yeah, we got rid of reviews. Nothing's written in our process unless you're on corrective action. But the goal, the determination of our success was, did we actually change the culture to one where it was okay to take a risk, make a mistake, as long as you learn from it, where getting better was as important as succeeding? Mm -hmm. That was really our goal. And to move from traditional performance management to that kind of culture is a huge change. Yeah. So for, for anyone on this uh, podcast who understands change management principles, every single one of them applied here. We had to have a robust team helping us. We had to have sponsorship. We had to do all the things that you do when you're doing a change plan. Talk to your employees and understand where they are so you can figure out how to get them to where they need to go. Yeah. We needed to make the change plan flexible because different parts of the organization were in different places. There had to be massive amounts of communication. There had to be the opportunity to practice and maybe fail and learn as we were changing this process. There had to be continuous improvement. So all the things that you think of that need to happen were happening in that year that we rolled this out in 2014. So this was no small change. So no. I just, just don't want anyone to walk away from this conversation thinking, okay, well, we could just get rid of reviews. We can get rid of ratings. We can yeah. ask our yeah. people to talk more and everything's going to be fine. No. This system with a philosophy, with changes to how we ask managers to give feedback, actual changes to the process, yes, mm -hmm. but really more changes to behavior. Well, you, you said some additional really important things. I want to make sure that people heard you say, and, and again, why you're on the culture hour is you, you talked about the culture piece. So there, I, we all agree. Well, I don't know that we all agree. Most <laughs> people will agree culture matters, right? It's a level of which does it, does it really matter? Well, the reality is when there's more than two people, you've got a culture that's happening of some sort. So the more you are clear and intentional about the philosophy behind the culture to use, to, to use your words, the more uh, likely that you're going to, keep the engagement and the retention and attract the, the people like a magnet that like that type of culture and get that philosophy that you're trying to do. So I love that you restated that. And I'm going to add a word that's outcomes. So really what you're talking about is what are we trying to achieve? What are the outcomes? 
And if I heard you correctly, it was about the shift of the culture and the thought behind giving a performance that it wasn't about the money, but really it was about how do we level people up? How do we unlock them? How do we get them into their full momentum? And so it could be different for all the listeners. It might be something else is what is another takeaway. It doesn't need to be that you're shifting your culture to one of a learning culture. It could be something else that's driving the change in the performance development system mm -hmm. is my point of that. So the key, like you said, is what is the philosophy and the philosophy has to be tied to what is the outcome you're trying to achieve so you can begin with an analysis of where are we today and then how do we begin to curate that to create it and get there tomorrow. So I, I love that and I don't want to oversimplify it, but just to kind of make sure that people don't think, oh, well, our culture is never going to be one of a learning culture. So I guess we're going to have to keep our annual performance and merit reviews. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's about, like you said, divine divine define <laughs> the the culture the philosophy where are you now and where is it you're trying to go because there might or it may be a huge shift or a little shift or someplace in between so again just because the culture hour is actually not a full hour for those that are listening know that so unfortunately i've got to come into a bit of a wrap-up mode because you've given us so many different nuggets i think we're going to have to have a, an on a continuation of this but <clears throat> What are some um, huge maybe learnings, huge takeaways that you've had now that you've, you know, seven years? I know that from being in the session, the people listening don't realize you started with a smaller group inside the corporate office and then you continually bled it out. And now it's, it's literally the entire gap corporation, correct? All yeah. levels. 140,000 employees globally. So just so everybody knows that, no, he didn't start that seven years ago, but they're, you know, they're at that now. So the other thing is you got to have patience. You've got to be able to, and correct me if I'm wrong, roll it out. And you kind of talked about this with the Silicon Valley pieces, roll it out, keep, adjust, roll it out bigger, keep, adjust, roll it out bigger. And then finally you get the whole momentum piece. So where are you at now? What are the tidbits that you can give to us now that you have seven years of of history and learning and, and skill set to this. Yeah, so I would say that in general, what we designed and rolled out worked. And you're right, we did modify a little bit along the route, especially because people who work in our stores are different than people who work in our offices. Mm -hmm. But in general, if you looked at the programs, they look pretty much the same and they're based on the same philosophies. The, the big learning came um, when we went from something that was really, I'm gonna say forced at the end of the year, Managers were required to allocate compensation using four ratings. That was pretty much all they were required to do. And they had to do it because if they didn't do it, people wouldn't get paid. Mm -hmm. To something where we said, you need to talk more often. And for headquarters, that was once a month. For the stores, it looks a little bit different. And in the first year, we actually monitored that. We asked employees if they were talking once a month. We asked a little bit about the quality of those conversations. But once that first year was over, we stopped. And I can't tell you if managers continued to do it. I can't. I have no, okay. I have no evidence. I'm hoping they did. So mm -hmm. there's something about manager accountability mm -hmm. and manager capability. That's a big question for Mark in performance management for me here at Gap, but I think just in general. And, it, and that's probably my biggest learning is you need to figure out a way to hold managers accountable for driving the performance of their talent and developing them. And unfortunately, when you look at most reward systems, 
bonus in particular, most bonus allocation does not change when an individual contributor becomes a manager. Mm -hmm. So we continue to compensate or reward now managers for the same things we compensated them for when they were individual contributors, which is um, outcomes, mm -hmm. business outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, when, a, when you become a manager, at least half of your time should be spent in developing your team. I think when you're a CEO, it should be 100% of your time. Absolutely. Compensation should reflect that, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. So we're Are you guys reviewing that? Um, not really. It, it's okay. a really difficult leap to make. Um, NLI, the Neural Leadership Institute, is going to start looking at that next year, and I raised my hand and said, I want to be part of that because I really think that we do a disservice to all talent practices. Mm -hmm. by not changing managers' compensation. Wouldn't it be amazing if when you became a manager for the first time, 50% of your discretionary bonus was allocated based on business outcomes that mm -hmm. you drive, mm -hmm. and 50% was based on some set of HR metrics about your team. You pick them, whether it's retention, promotion rate, bench strength, I, I don't care what they are, but we would have managers coming to us and saying, oh my God, I don't know how to develop my team. I really got bad scores on my AOS. What do I do about it, right? I'm not good at this and I need to get better because that's half of my compensation. Yeah. But we don't. No, so when business is bad, managers will focus on what drives their compensation. I mean, that's not exclusive of what it is. We know because of all the research that there are other drivers, but we're sending the wrong signal. And that well, makes it tough to hold managers accountable. One would argue, I believe both you and I would argue, is that those results, those business results, those business outcomes happen because of people. Of course so they if do, we reversed it and we did 80, 20, 80% on people, we, get, we will get the results. I, I, I tell people often my original corporate structure background came from Marriott International. And um, I was with them for 14 years and definitely fondly still love working with all of my Marriott folks. And I call it the golden handcuff piece. but. Um, and it's still like this today. I don't know the intensity because I haven't been in the environment for a while. I work as an outside consultant with them, but it was all about people. Mr. Marriott, literally when he would come to visit, so I'm telling you how old I am, it was always conversations about the team, about mm -hmm. their families. And it was always that, are you taking care of your people? It was always that, take care of your people, meaning your employees, everything else will happen on its own. And I just completely believe what it is that you're saying. And I do believe that we have it all wrong. And it's just a huge shift because you come into the workforce, um, historically, for those of us who are Gen Xers and older, you come into the workforce from a skill set. And then you learn more skills and more skills and more skills. And those are all hard skills. Somewhere along the line, we started hearing this soft skill thing, right? And there was a, there was a um, Harvard Business Review did a study and said that on average, it is, I don't remember if it was seven or 10 years. Um, I read this a couple of years ago before managers actually get the people side training. Well, that's seven to 10 years too late, right? Yep. So I do think we have it all wrong. I do think that it's not about the skill set, especially when you get into the management side of things. It, it absolutely has to tip into the other way because we now get work done through other people. If we can't connect with other people and if we can't help them unlock their potential and their momentum, well, then we remain stagnant. So um, I, I will watch, I'm going to be watching you to see <laughs> the gap early adopter. 
to see if you can uh, unlock that next stage and to be able to shift that. So is there any final thoughts and tidbits, um, tips, again, if there's still any books that reference um, or where can they, and where can they find more about what it is that you've done at Gap Inc. and, and the success? Yeah, so um, one, one word of, of caution. You okay. don't have to get rid of ratings and reviews in order to change your performance management process. You don't have to. Love that. But you do have to move to a system that requires managers and employees to talk more often about development, not about the tactics of work, but about development. If you don't do that, if you're not having those rich conversations about performance, there is no performance management going on in your company. There's just reward allocation. But yeah. you don't have to get rid of ratings. There are some companies that keep them and they're fine. I don't believe in them because I think they create a negative response in the brain. And I don't want to have that happen for my employees, but you don't have to. Get rid of them. So that's that. my last tidbit. No, so um, if you go to my LinkedIn page, there are a lot of resources, articles that I've written. Uh, there's a 45-minute um, presentation that I did with HCI. There's, I think, a half-an-hour presentation I did with the Neuroleadership Institute. They're all there for you to access. And if you want to talk to me personally, I, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I want to have it on my tombstone that I helped obliterate traditional performance management from the face of the earth. And I'll talk to anyone and anybody who can help me do that. So if you're in a company that wants to chat with me, reach out um, through LinkedIn and, and we'll find a time to talk. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And for the listeners out there and you're not um, watching this, let me spell Rob's name. Um, it is O-L-L-A-N-D-E-R dash K-R-A-N-E. Again, Rob and then O-L-L-A-N-D-E-R dash K-R-A-N-E. So we thank you for your time today. Again, my name is Shelly Smith, your host, and we hope to have Elizabeth Valise back on here soon so the two of us can have a chat. Um, more about the culture and what's going on. Don't forget to uh, subscribe and, and ask any questions that you have and also pick up and listen to Your Morning Commute, which is the other podcast that serve hot to you fresh Monday through Friday with quick culture updates and challenges. So until then, have a great day and happy holidays for everybody who is listening and watching as well. And again, thank you, Rob. Thank you for your time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for joining me and another guest for the Culture Hour. If you want to go back to past episodes, make sure you follow the podcast on any of your favorite apps and devices. If you're looking for a daily dose, a little short snippet, then all you need to do is hop over to the other podcast called Your Morning Commute. Thank you again for tuning in. If you're looking for questions, other speakers, more topics, by all means, reach out. Shelly at premierreport.com. Remember, culture isn't built in a day. Culture is built every day. Are you spending your money and your time and energy on repairs? Or are you spending your time and your energy defining and maintaining? Be safe out there.